ash has settled. Clouds and steam have blown away. What seems like a barren wasteland that could never recover is an opportunity for miraculous recovery. God has built into our world recovery. He has built it into you too. Disasters come, catastrophic and traumatic events will come and leave us feeling like life will never be the same. And it's true, after big events, happy or sad, we won't be the same. It may be difficult, but God does not leave you nor forsake you and he hasn't left our world without hope either. The very events that seem so disastrous are the groundwork for growth and recovery. Volcanic eruptions bring up a fresh supply of nutrients from deep within the earth. This rich material is a nursery for abundant life. What happened after Mount St. Helens erupted didn't come quickly, slowly, Steadily, life began to rise up from the ashes. <sighs> Another breathtaking view. I'm Israel Matt, and I'm standing here at the place where David Johnston had stood in 1980 and said, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it! The mountain erupted in his direction. With such force that the actual ridge he had been standing on is significantly below where I am standing now today because of all the material that was blasted and settled here. How can life recover from a region-altering event like that? How did recovery begin? Here is an excerpt taken from Mount St. Helens, A Story of Succession an article by the American Forest Foundation that helps us understand the beginning of recovery. Winds brought light seeds and insects to the area. Enabling them to enter the area and become established. Plants and insects attracted birds, deer, and elk. Heavier seeds, which couldn't be blown in the wind, hitchhiked on the feathers of birds and in elk droppings. Ponds and springs created by the eruption became the centers of life for survivors and colonizers. Today, many areas around the volcano still have a desert-like appearance, but the vast majority of plant and animal species that were found at Mount St. Helens before the 1980 eruption have returned. Some 
like the Roosevelt elk, have returned to numbers that far exceeded pre-1980 populations. That's the end of the excerpt. What happened is it began with seeds and little animals like gophers burrowing beneath the soil. They began to stir up the soil and aerate it for the seeds. And when waters came, they were watered. The seeds got nourishment from the ground and the sun. And they were the beginning. That's called primary succession, by the way. Primary succession is growth that happens with nothing around. The little animals, the seeds, the insects, they were the first to come back. And they were the first to help the area regrow, repopulate, recover. And as birds came in to feed on the new plants and the insects, then other animals began to move in. And as larger plants came in, we moved into secondary succession. Secondary succession is what happens after primary succession or in areas that didn't completely lose all life. So right around the crater would have been primary succession, perhaps a couple miles out, depending on which side of the mountain you would get secondary succession because there might have been still some plants, a few, maybe some trees still standing, though a lot of disaster. Some life remained, that's secondary succession. And it's what happens after primary succession if it's around the crater. Now, like the article said, and I'm standing here right now, some places look like the moon. However, life has been recovering since the beginning, since right after the eruption for 40 years, over 40 years. So life began to recover, but what happened to Robert Rogers, the guy with the blue sleeping bag who was trespassing and ran away from me? Well, he survived, barely, and he went back to visit Mount St. Helens many times, sometimes when he wasn't supposed to. Harry R. Truman, not the president, who had refused to leave his cabin. That's my life. It's a part of me. Lost his life, sadly. In total, 57 people died. Considering that Mount St. Helens erupted with the force of about 25,000 atomic bombs, losing 1,300 feet of rock from the summit, and spread 1 trillion, 40 billion pounds of ash across our country, it's somewhat surprising that more people didn't lose their lives. Something else interesting is what we learned from Mount St. Helens. Evidence for the Bible can be found just about anywhere you look, but the eruption from 1980 gave three solid pieces of evidence for the biblical flood. First, the eruption from Mount St. Helens shows that Earth's sedimentary rock record could have been deposited from a flood. Deposited is just a nice word of saying it was put there. So all the sediment, the ash, the rock, the sand, the gravel, all of it was laid down beginning with the heavier stuff and then the lighter layers as they began to settle down from Earth's atmosphere. It was so similar to what likely happened during and after the flood in the Bible. 
if there was a worldwide flood, we could expect to see layers like that all around the world, and that's exactly what we find. These layers are seen all around the world. If you haven't done this already, you can take a plastic container with a lid, put soil, sand, and some other small debris and water in it, mix it up really well, shake it, and watch the layers naturally settle. This is a small scale of what happened at Mount St. Helens, which is also a small scale of what happened, and this is also a small representation of what happened, what likely happened, after the worldwide flood is mentioned in the Bible. Also, there was a canyon that formed rapidly, and that means quickly, at Mount St. Helens, and this shows that a canyon such as the Grand Canyon could have formed rapidly during the flood mentioned in the Bible. The canyon at Mount St. Helens didn't take years and years with layer upon layer, slowly over time developing and then being eroded away by a river. No, it was built up really quickly. We're talking about hours and days. And then the waters broke loose and left a canyon there. Finally, the third piece of evidence. Many logs were thrown into Spirit Lake. Some of the trees that were blown down by the eruption in 1980 apparently still float in the lake today. Some of them were floating vertically in the water, and we have found fossils of trees standing up on end and the same way in the layers of the earth. What makes this difficult for evolutionists is that each layer, according to their reckoning, is thousands or tens of thousands of years. If each layer in the rock represents that many years, how could you have a tree that was standing through all of those? for tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. It's not possible. The tree would be eaten away, plucked up. It would decompose in some way. One tree stain standing in that position for thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of years is not likely. It's not possible. It makes more sense that a tree was rapidly buried in multiple layers because if those layers are being laid down quickly over seconds, minutes, or hours, or days, you could easily have a tree staying there being buried layer by layer, similar to what we see at Mount St. Helens. It's sad, and yet wonderful, that something as powerful and awful as Mount St. Helens could bring about such evidence for a biblical flood. Often we label things as good or bad, depending on how they make us feel in that moment. But nature doesn't work that way. Events are just what they are. The eruption of Mount St. Helens was an event that is a part of our Earth's inner workings, and it's a part of growth. It may seem disastrous to us, but in the grand scheme of thousands of years, Mount St. Helens is hardly worth noting. To nature, it's just a part of the process. Forests regrow, Animals move back in, life continues on, and listeners, you can too.